What's up, everybody? Are you tuning in to the Challenge USA on CBS? Well, tune in to me, Tyson Apostle, as I break down each and every episode with my co-host, Amelia Wedemeyer. I'm also a contestant on the show, which gives you all the insider scoop. Amelia, how stoked are you to do this? Tyson, I'm freaking excited. I cannot wait to sit my butt down every single week to watch the show, then come here and recap it with you on the Ringer Reality TV podcast. This episode is brought to you by Jiffy Lube. Cars can be a big investment, so it's important to take care of them. I once got a car that I started out with 25,000 miles on. I got it to over 200,000 miles because I took care of it. You know how you take care of a car? You take care of the maintenance, the oil, the brakes, all that stuff. And if you don't, you can have a car just completely fall apart. When your car needs maintenance, head to Jiffy Lube. They provide automotive excellence at speed. Get your oil changed, brakes checked, tons of other multi-care services. It's all done by expertly trained technicians who actually care about taking care of you and your car. Jiffy Lube, car more. To find coupons and start an instant online estimate, visit jiffylube.com. Trial by Content, the podcast where we force our favorite pop culture to compete in the coliseum of contentious opinion so we can all decide what wins. Each week, your three humble hosts will debate a pop culture topic, set the specific rules, and rumble until a consensus is reached. Then, with input from you, the listener base, we'll smash together our nominations with yours and determine a final four-nominee poll that will decide the one true Trial by Content winner. Hello, I am Dave Gonzalez. I'm Joanna Robinson. And I am Neil Miller. Here on the precipice of a lot of new comic book inspired television, we stop to consider which one was the best. What makes a good transfer from comics to television? Do we like faithful adaptations or is the thrill of hearing our favorite characters out loud override everything else? We're going to find out which one is the best this week. But first, we must decide a worst from last week's poll. Joanna, how did we do? Listen. Some of us did well, and some of us did less well. So this is what happened last week. It was a, It's a royal we, I suppose. <laughs> last week, we were debating worst character decision in a horror movie, and I regret to inform you that the listener streak, uh, which has been hot and heavy, was broken uh, in a major way. Only 9% of the vote went to our listener, who picked the wizard disrespect in Army of Darkness. Also... Uh, Dave, hate to say it, hate to feel it, hate to know it, but Razor Box, good old Razor Box in Saw 2, 13% of the vote. Not not a not a great showing. Uh, the fact that you're now calling it good old Razor Box means that I won a small You victory. did, you did. I will I will forever <laughs> think about good old Razor Box. Uh 34% of the vote, a uh, respectable second place to me with the Prometheus penis monster touching, but crashing in a first place. Neil Miller, 43% of the vote for the mayor and Jaws keeping the beach open. Neil Miller, how do you feel? <laughs> Justice for the Shack movie. Yeah. I'm very excited. Do you, now, do you uh, now agree that the concept of listener assist is bullshit now that you've tasted actual victory this week? <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, I'm, I'm of a couple of minds on this. One, I'm happy that Dave and I are now tied again for last on the winner's leaderboard. Um, I am excited that 
the listeners were foiled. And uh, yeah, uh, the the John Williams debate was an eye-opening experience for Jaws disrespect, sure. I think, right? Because I didn't expect <laughs> it to finish last in that debate. So it's good to get some some justice for Jaws, for the people of the East Coast, and for movies made before 1980. So thank you to everyone who voted. Great work all around. <laughs> This week, we are discussing, as Dave mentioned, best TV series adapted from a comic book that's live action or animated. And that is in honor of a glut of comic book shows that are debuting. We have uh, over on HBO Max debuting its third season, Harley Quinn, the animated series, great show. She-Hulk debuting its first season over on Disney Plus, Paper Girls on Amazon Prime, and last but certainly not least, all of Sandman season one is dropping uh, this Friday on Netflix. Uh, so that is a lot going on, a lot of different approaches going on. I want to talk first about um, my best friend and yours, Harley Quinn. I know that Neil and I are huge fans of this show. Dave, where do you sit with the Harley Quinn animated show? Oh, I really like it. I have not caught up on the existing episodes of season three yet, but I did uh, watch all of seasons one and two when they came out and then uh, spread it to my partner this weekend who watched all of it in a day. I love that you talk about it like an infection. Um, I'm sorry that Java has caught a case of the Quins. It, it's yeah, it's it's like a, a ace chemical plant tendril wrapping itself lovingly around your leg. It's Harley <laughs> Quinn, the animated series. Um, Neil, given that you've seen the first three eps of the season three, like how are you feeling about uh, Harley Quinn? Well, like which, by the way, has had its ups and downs. It debuted on the like, what was the DC platform called? I don't remember. Whatever the DC, DC universe, whatever the DC that sounds streaming correct. platform was. And then it had a season two DC universe says our producer Arjuna. Thank you. Um, and then it had, it like it got ported over to HBO max sort of after season two premiered. And then there was a question mark about whether or not we would get a season three season two wrapped up in a way where they could have left it there. And that would have been an okay ending. I'm so delighted that we got a season three. I think this is, I think it's one of the best shows ever. It's my favorite Batman thing currently going. Uh, so sorry, Neil, I cut you off. Uh, how do you feel about those first three apps? I mean, I feel really good about Harley Quinn. I've, I'm going to try and not spoil anything because I've seen the whole season. But uh, And I could just assure you that if you like what's in those first three episodes, you have no idea what's coming in the rest of this third season. <laughs> and it's it's really, really a lot of fun. Um I actually, my my thoughts were summed up by a tweet from from you, Joanna Robinson, where uh, I think you tweeted something along the lines of, "This is one of those shows that it feels like no one's like paying attention to the people creating it, and they're getting away with an incredible amount of stuff." Uh, specifically, I think uh, around Batman, and I think that's all I really want to say about that because. It's it's just a lot of fun. I mean, uh, Diedrich Bader's Batman has been in the series for multiple seasons and has been a lot of fun as like a side character. Um, but uh, they do some really fun stuff in season three. So yeah, I'm I'm all in on Harley Quinn. I think it's it's fun. It in a lot of ways it occupies a similar space to Doom Patrol, where it's like here's a comic book based series that is going to do things that are weirder and more outside the box and metatextual and just all kinds of clever and innovative 
things. Um, and it just makes them a delight, an absolute delight to get immersed in. So Harlight be forever is what I have to say. <laughs> yes. I'm pretty, like, this is the, I think this is the bat heaviest season. Uh, Diedrich Bader, I think, has the most to do in this season. Uh, and it's but but it doesn't feel like it's pulling from Harley and Ivy. There's um if in those first three episodes, if you've seen those, you already know that the Bat family, because like Nightwing shows up. So like we got the full Bat family in effect um this season. And um what I love is that it picks and chooses what it decides to draw inspiration from. Like obviously Harley Quinn originated in Batman the Animated Series. That's where she comes from. And I think Kaylee Cuoco's Harley Quinn is not, like, she plays with that version of animated Harley Quinn and a bit with Margot Robbie's Harley Quinn, but then does her own thing entirely. I think Lake Bell's Poison Ivy is very different from any Poison Ivy we've seen in animated or live action before. She's not the, like, like sex pot Poison Ivy that we usually get. Um... Uh, though very sexy still. Um, and then, you know, you've got you've got the Bane, which is obviously like interacting with Tom Hardy's Bane, like very clearly. But then you've got Alan Tudyk's Clayface, which is unlike any Clayface, you know, so they're just sort of like whatever they decide they want to be inspired by, they are. And then you've got these holy wait, like, wait, wait. yeah, you forgot a big one. Kite Man. Kite Man. Hell yeah. yeah. Hell yeah. <laughs> Hell yeah. <laughs> um, but that, like, that's what I love. And the the fact that they will make fun of Snyderverse stuff or they'll make fun of stuff that happens in the comics or, they'll, you know, they'll make, like, everything is up for grabs in terms of what they'll make fun of while obviously, like, fully loving these characters in this world. Dave, like, does that level of, I don't know, that meta layer, does that work for you? Do you ever feel like, the, I think the thing that's important about, and we'll talk about a couple other shows that are sort of, like, pu- like, making fun of the superhero glut while having their cake and eat it too. Um, does it ever feel like it's punching down or does it always feel like it's punching up? Like, how do you feel about that? Oh, I think it's always punching up. And I think it's a good, you know, choice of a character and a series and a format to do all of those things. So I think it's just real smart all around. Uh, I anticipate that She-Hulk will be somewhat similar uh, depending on uh, how crazy it gets with its breaking the fourth wall, which it definitely does. I want to, I want to like let's fully pivot to She-Hulk, uh, masterful pivot. <laughs> but I want to pause you there, Dave, okay. because you are the only one person I know who does not work for Disney, who has been telling me that you think She-Hulk is going to be really good. So can you make the case for us live on microphone right now why you think She-Hulk is going to be really good? Like Harley Quinn, my understanding of it is it is mostly a comedy and Marvel hasn't had a pure half hour comedy yet. So that's another format uh, that they could play with. And I think Marvel does really good when it's trying to do a TV show that's riffing on a format instead of just trying to do a straight uh, spoiler. We're not going to talk about it. Falcon and the Winter Soldier sort of a television show. Uh, But also, I am just absolutely thrilled at the level of Uh, special effects that we've seen in the show. Uh, I think that we've been, you know, spoiled with some good cinematic Hulk, but the idea that they created a whole digital Jennifer Walters out of Tatiana Maslany um, just for this show and that it looks as good as it does uh, is sort of amazing to me. So I'm expecting light tone. I'm expecting uh, an amazing visual effect 
and I'm expecting her to be a little horny, which is always nice in the Marvel <laughs> Universe. Sure. The Marvel Universe could use some of that. That's for sure. Yeah, I think if so. If you just joined us like for trial by content and not spent years listening to Dave talk about digital effects, you may be surprised to hear Dave say that he thinks the digital effects in Shield look good when like the broad reaction is that they don't look good. But Dave usually has a sort of like galaxy brain approach to digital effects, basically saying like, you plebes don't understand what you're looking at and it's actually way better than what you think you're looking at. Is that your stance here, Yeah, Dave? I'm looking at it and I see pores. If you're looking at it and you see smooth green, you're looking at it the wrong way. I'm sorry. Uh, Neil, where are you on She-Hulk? Has, has Dave convinced you? I mean, longtime Tatiana Maslany supporter, Orphan Black forever. So I will show up for that. I also am a longtime Disney Plus subscriber, so I guess... Um, I'll show up for that anyway, right? Like it's, <laughs> I will have access to She-Hulk. I have nothing better to do in my life, so I will uh, definitely be watching it. I don't. I also don't think it looks that bad, especially in like trailers and stuff. Because as we know about Marvel, anything that they're releasing before the thing comes out is uh, subject to change and subject to uh, getting either better or worse. So I'm totally okay reserving judgment for She-Hulk, but I'm. I also liked the sort of lighter, more fun tone of some of the more recent Disney Plus stuff that Marvel's been putting out. Like some of the humor in Ms. Marvel was good. They're, they found some fun humor in Moon Knight. So maybe a light, fun, uh, legal comedy is what we need. I don't know. I'm willing to try it out. Uh, I think that um, ever since Dave sort of made the case to me that the show might actually might be, is She-Hulk good actually? I think was uh, Dave's conversation that he had with me. <laughs> I've decided to adopt that approach and I'll be like, okay, is she all good actually? Let's find out. Um, just, just two more comic book shows to talk about before we're done with this section. Uh, quickly, <laughs> Paper Girls, which I think only Neil is engaging with. Uh, it's based off of Brian K. Vaughn, um, Cliff Chang uh, comic book that I really liked a lot. It's kids on bikes, time travel, uh, adventure. Um, which we historically, the three of us love a kids on bike adventure. Um, Neil, how are you feeling about what you've seen of Paper Girls? I like Paper Girls. Um, I'm not as uh, excited about the news that you shared with me before we started recording that the show, the the writer of all the episodes that I really liked has uh, since been let go from the show. Um, so that, that makes me less happy about Paper Girls, but it's a good comic that I've always liked. It's a little bit of like Stand By Me meets Doctor Who, and I think I say the Doctor Who part to prepare people for, you know, I, the, it involves girls on bikes and time travel. The time travel is actually less interesting than the friendships in my mind. So, um, but yeah, it's, it's sad to me that we can't get like a really good, like great adaptation that becomes very popular of a Brian K. Vaughn comic, uh, especially after why the last man did not uh, really have that much success and uh, paper girls, people seem to be mixed on. I enjoyed it. I think it's a pretty good faithful adaptation of the comic book and the cast is really good. So, uh, you know, if you're, if you're, if you're, if you need something to sort of scratch the stranger things itch, this will do it. But I like the character work in this one a little bit better than I like Stranger Things, at least in those first couple seasons. Speaking of faithful adaptations, the last thing we'll mention here is Sandman, which we'll be talking about a little bit more in depth over on the Ringerverse. But um, Neil Gaiman, ad adapting Neil Gaiman's stories has been a roll up and down 
roller coaster <laughs> in Hollywood in general. He's got a really, it's a really hard vibe to capture. Um, but he is the main creative force on Sandman. Um, and that was true of Good Omens as well. It's sort of like Neil was like, I'm done watching other people try to adapt my work. I'm going to take the tiller here. Um, that doesn't always work out perfectly because just because you're a great novelist and or comic book creator does not mean you're a great showrunner. Um, Gaiman has like smartly partnered with a few uh, people who know what they're doing when it comes to television. Sandman is super interesting to me and I'll be really interested. I've watched all of it. I'll be really interested to hear what you guys think when you see it. But like the Sandman graphic novels are, or comic books, if you prefer, are such icons of a time in comic book dumb, have such a distinctive tone. I think even more so than Gaiman's novels, just because, uh, you know, of, of the very immersive artwork that's involved um, in, in the series. And so what I will say about Sandman positively and lightly, and then we'll move on to like actually having a debate, I promise, um, is that it feels more like a comic book than any of these other shows that we've talked about in that each episode feels like an issue and you've got and much like the original source material, like you've got a main character who goes through everything, but you've got characters that just come and go. Um, they're in an issue and then they're gone. They're in an episode and then they're gone. Even like some big actors that you might've seen who are in this show, you're like, oh, they're gone already? Well, yeah, that's that's how that's how comic works. And, and it's similar to some of the stuff we've ta been talking about in terms of the MCU. Like, how do you make something feel like reading a comic book. And this is, I'm not saying Sandman's perfect because I don't think it is. And there have been some really smart adaptive choices they've made. And I have some questions about some casting choices. But in terms of like watching a show that feels like reading a comic book, this is the closest I feel like um, anyone has come. So that, that I can say in Sandman's favor. Do you have any Sandman questions before we roll on to what we're going to do next? I was going to say that, I mean, I was probably going to watch, I've never read the books that Sandman is based on, but I was going to watch uh, solely to see Gwendolyn Christie as Lucifer, uh, which was, that was enough for me. But what you just said really sealed it. I, I now am curious to explore the format. And I guess I'm also fascinated with where Netflix spends a lot of money because that uh, can always go uh, a bunch of different ways as we've seen. So this being sort of a, what feels like uh, flagship type of show that they want to launch um, will be interesting to see how it comes out. I'm interested in seeing the Corinthian for myself uh, as one of my favorite characters in the early Sandman arcs. And he's been appearing on some promotional material, but not in any clips. That's not going to disappoint you. The Corinthian is the best part yes. of right. the whole thing. Corinthian rules. Excellent. That's, Bo that's Boyd, Boyd Holbrook, Holbrook, right? Who's so great. Uh, yeah. Then I'm I if it was just that I would be like yes that that is definitely one of my favorite arcs uh, because of the stuff that happens that I just realized it would be a spoiler to say you guys will see on and Friday. they don't they don't sh I will just say this they don't like Sandman's a horror comic they do not shy away from the horror of the horror comic that is Sandman and the Corinthian uh, and this is in the trailer so it's not a spoiler plus these books have been out for a really long time has teeth for eyes. And yes. that's just one part of the Corinthian and how, and the Corinthian gets like an expanded role, which I think was really smart to give like a, a, a more consistent antagonist sort of uh, figure in this, in this season. So yeah, Sandman 
Come back to the Ringerverse for more conversation on that. In the meantime, Neil, what are we doing today? What are the rules of the game of this alleged debate we're having? <laughs> well, I don't think any of the shows that we just mentioned are have been around long enough to qualify for this one. But this week we are debating what is the best TV series adapted from a comic book. And your choice must be a, an existing television series, as you might imagine, that has been adapted from or based on a comic book or graphic novel. How far you want to stretch that definition, as always, is up to you. Uh, but first, we've got a few awards to give away. Uh, the first one, very importantly, the category crown. This was uh, one that we toiled over all week because how do you solve uh, a question like Batman? And we're going to solve it by giving him the crown because series involving the Cape Crusader may not be abundant at the moment, but this character was a pioneer of the subgenre from Batman 1966 to Batman the Animated Series in the early 90s to Batman Beyond at the end of the 90s to Gotham in the 20-teens uh, to a couple of current shows, Harley Quinn, as we mentioned, and Young Justice, uh, which I've never seen but I'm told is a big fan favorite around these parts. <laughs> so the, the, the small screen has always been a good home. For our, uh, what, what I would call at this point, our trial by content Hall of Famer, Batman. One the Bruce Dark Knight, the Cape <laughs> So we, uh, you know, you will not be hearing any more about a Batman show as we go on in our debate. Just know that Batman is the all-time comic book adaptation. I mean, it's probably the same for movies, but that's a totally different debate. Our category clown this week is a show from Marvel, which at least as of one movie ago was still canon in the MCU, and it is Marvel's Inhumans. Uh, this was an early MCU attempt at uh, superhero Game of Thrones that went so poorly it forced Marvel to later make changes to the origin story of Ms. Marvel for her TV show. Uh, you will also note that uh, Anson Mount, handsome Anson Mount, was in Inhumans. Ewan Roan uh, from Game of Thrones was in it. It was a big production, right? It was an ABC show, and it was terrible. The, the effects. Can I tell you my everything. favorite Ewan Roan uh, story? This is from the first Con of Thrones that we did, by the way, a Game of Thrones convention that happened a really long time ago. Um, anyway. The um, first ever. The first ever. Um, <laughs> and Ewan Roan, uh, Ramsey Bolton himself, was there, and he was talking to us backstage before we, we like took him out on stage to interview him, and we were asking about Inhumans, and he's like, well, I got to go to Hawaii. It's like the best he could say. <laughs> yeah. So the only good things that come out of Inhumans was a slightly better origin story for Ms. Marvel and Anson Mount got to come back and sit in a warehouse by himself and then be in a Doctor Strange movie. <laughs> so <laughs> there you go. Uh, our pre-trial dismissals this week. Normally this is where we would say, uh, list off a, a bunch of great contenders that uh, you will not hear mentioned in the debate. I don't know if these were necessarily great contenders, but I did want to highlight five sort of fun and interesting series that are based on comic books not published by our overlords at Marvel or DC. And this includes uh, iZombie, the Rose McIver, Raul Cooley uh, comic that uh, it was based on a Vertigo comic series, which I know Vertigo is uh, owned by DC, but I don't know if it was when they published iZombie. Maybe. We'll see. Uh, iZombie, 
uh, one of my favorite your angry fun shows. Tweets to Neil and Neil alone. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> At least it's a sub label of DC. Sure. Anyway, back to my list: Snowpiercer, both the original movie and the TNT show that is about to end with its fourth season, based on a 1982 French graphic novel, Le Transpersonnage. I don't know French. Uh, sorry. <laughs> By uh, Jacques Lowe, Benjamin Legrand, and Jean-Marc Rocher. I do like saying French names, though. <laughs> uh, elsewhere on my list <laughs> is Sabrina the Teenage Witch, which is a classic from, I guess, our childhoods and teen years, and Riverdale, which is a classic for the, the youths of today. Uh, both are based on Archie comics, which are a classic for, our, for I guess, our parents and grandparents, because that's how long those have been around. We also have Tales from the Crypt, a classic HBO show that is slightly loosely adapted from uh, EC Comics horror franchises, one of which was actually called Tales from the Crypt. So loosely adapted or not, they share a name. And then finally, uh, a very fun sci-fi network show, Winona Earp, which is based on a comic series that was originally published, published by Image Comics and then later by IDW Publishing, starring Melanie Scrifano, who uh, will always, in my heart, be uh, Mrs. McMurray from Letterkenny. She also was on the most recent season of Star Trek, Star Trek Strange New Worlds as the significant other of Handsome Anson Mount. Wow. That's right. Yeah, we're that's all back. <laughs> <laughs> so there you have it. A crown, a clown, some dismissals. I think it's time that we get into the real debate. That's right. If we haven't pissed you off yet, here comes the meat. (laughs) Each host is going to have one minute to give an initial pitch for their choice. Uh, We're going to go in the order of who got the most votes uh, last week. And then final arguments are going in the reverse order, which means this week we get to start off with Mr. Neil Miller. (sighs) Friends, I'm very excited to be here today to speak to you about the devil of Hell's Kitchen. And the 2015 Netflix-Marvel collab that finally did his character justice. I'm here to stump for the show that delivered the MCU's reigning best villain, Vincent D'Onofrio's Wilson Fisk. The show that delivered across-the-board production quality unlike anything we'd seen previously. And a show that, in one badass hallway scene, elevated the very concept of the superhero TV show. My choice, of course, is Netflix and Marvel's Daredevil, my clip It's from the season one finale in which Kingpin has been arrested and he's being transported by the police. And he tells a story inside the armored van uh, from the Bible about a Samaritan who comes upon a man who's been beaten at the side of the road. He's been ignored by a priest, some religious leaders. What does all this have to do with Wilson Fisk and Hell's Kitchen? Let's give it a listen and find out. Roll it, Carlos. I always thought that I was the Samaritan in that story. It's funny, isn't it? How even the best of men can be deceived by their true nature. What the hell does that mean? It means that I'm not the Samaritan. That I'm not the priest or the Levite. That I am the ill intent who set upon the traveler on a road that he should not have been on. Old Vincent D'Onofrio, his voice just gives me chills. Vinny what a great D. first season of television that was. Love it. All right, uh, my name's Joanna. My my name is Joanna Robinson. And I'm here to uh, to 
spread the good word about a little <laughs> 1992 animated series, X-Men, the animated series. If you take the long lens on the MCU, and Dave can agree or disagree with me inside the debate proper, I would say X-Men, the animated series is one of the reasons that the MCU exists in the first place. This was an early TV experiment from Marvel, kind of, from Marvel, kind of not, but it is what clued Marvel Publishing into the idea that they can make a lot of money off of toys, but the, that's that's not what makes a great show. Let me tell you what makes a great show. What makes a great show is the fact that X-Men the Animated Series, for my generation growing up, before comic book shows were around every corner, this is the show that got so many kids into the world of comic books, kids who did not read comic books at all, but they could name their favorite X-Men from this series, from the trading cards, from the action figures. It really broke open something in the culture in terms of making comic books mainstream. It's why the (laughs) Brian Singer movies exist because X-Men was such a recognizable property based off the, the back of this animated series. And it is something that holds so much potent nostalgia that just a few bars from the theme song in recent MCU properties have gotten people excited. They are rebooting the series, but not really rebooting it because they're just like keeping it the same. Carlos, will you play, will you play a little, little clip for me here? So are we going to watch the rest of the episode now? (laughs) (laughs) What a Um, banger. (laughs) A song so good that both our wonderful intern Kai and our producer Arjuna had to weigh in in the comments just now about how great that song was. Plus, both Dave and Neil were headbanging in the Zoom. That's the X-Men animated series theme song. And I could talk more about why the show itself is so good as well. Dave, what do you got? I'm going to start off with a clip and you guys can maybe guess. Carlos? I had no idea how much Wonder had endured before coming to Westview. How much we both had, I guess. Oh, I can't remember it. For me, it feels like it happened to someone else, you know? But for her, it's mere weeks ago. What am I doing here, sitting, talking to you? When I sh- this, is, this, is, this is absurd. I need to get my wife. Last week, shark outlier nonwithstanding, I've learned you, the audience, likes things from the recent past, which makes sense. <laughs> if superhero TV has been around since the dawn of the medium, why wouldn't something in the past few years be able to iterate successfully on that much history in both comics and television storytelling? Which is why I'm picking WandaVision, which started in January 2021 and kicked off MCU's Phase 4, the MCU's Multiverse Saga, and the MCU's run on Disney+. Based loosely on Tom King's The Vision run of comics from 2015 and Brian Michael Bendis' written House of M, Run from 2005, WandaVision does multiple smart things for its characters and for a comic book series taking place in a well-established universe. First off, it's a television show first with plotting that is dependent on being episodic. Second, it was spared from having a cameo from Doctor Strange because of the pandemic changed the production schedule. So unlike some other Marvel series, we're not just waiting for the next cameo. Third, it develops the main characters of Vision and Wanda without them having to be superheroes. We've seen what a mess both of these characters can be shunted into movies not concerned with them. WandaVision opened them both up through non-superhero nonsense, but also through the domestic aspects of the characters. Finally, it's self-contained. Instead of a second season, we got a second Doctor Strange movie that had nothing to say about Doctor Strange, but kept WandaVision intact as a singular season of streaming content that answers all the questions it poses. 
And then my clip was at the beginning, so just spike the football, move on. <laughs> That's right, guys. It's three Marvel candidates for oh, the moment boy. that we get to toss around. No, not, not for long, I promise. We got some other things coming. But um, can I just say a few things? Number one, WandaVision is my favorite of the Disney plus Marvel shows by like a long shot. And then, you know, Loki's up there too, of course, but like WandaVision's really high for me, what it does with the medium, everything like it, it, it just started off that whole era with so much promise and it is a contained one season. Daredevil similarly kicked off Netflix, uh, comic book shows in, in like with, with a bright star of a season. Neil, are you putting up season two and season three of Daredevil along with season one of Daredevil in your best comic book TV <laughs> show ever? I, you know, I think I have to, technically. Um, I would argue that there's some really good action in the later uh, seasons of Daredevil. I'm not as in love with all of the Daredevil spinoffs. Like, there's one we don't even have to talk about. Uh, it rhymes with uh, Iron Fist. But without Daredevil, Mind you, we may not have gotten the Jessica Jones that we got, which in my man, in my mind, second best Marvel villain is the Purple Man from Jessica Jones, and we would not have gotten Marvel's greatest uh, thirst trap, which is John Bernthal as the Punisher. So I think that outweighs whatever bad Electra-related things happen in those later seasons of Daredevil. I also think that the strength of Charlie Cox and uh, Vincent D'Onofrio in those roles so good that they couldn't even let them go, right? Like they're coming back to do a whole nother series and they're keeping those characters in and out of the movies, even when they're ready to disregard pretty much everything else about those Netflix shows. They, those performances and those characterizations were so well done. And so I guess they have the the right feel of that character from the comics and that may have been an easier thing to achieve after, you know, the only real big reference we had to Daredevil was the Ben Affleck version, and that was not close. So, um, yeah, I'm fine with keeping those in. I still think that Daredevil has a really strong case. I mean, it is, in my mind, the first step that Marvel made into making like a full-on prestige TV show, like a show that was produced to be impressive in a cinematic way, not just an expensive TV show, you know? I have a lot of nice things to say about Daredevil. Oh, oh, was that what you wanted me to do? Or would you like me to talk about how X-Men's also great? Um, no, I, I, wanted to, I wanted to talk to you about the use of Kingpin in Hawkeye and if that retroactively damages <laughs> the legacy of Kingpin in Daredevil. Kevin Feige really screwed me on this one. <laughs> I'm, I'm not going <laughs> to... I'm not going to go for uh, retroactive uh, things necessarily affecting the effectiveness of the season that we're talking about, uh, especially with something like WandaVision. Like I said, like Multiverse of Madness, fine movie, lots of fun. I don't think it's continuing any of the character work we did in WandaVision as effectively as WandaVision did it. And it's a Doctor Strange sequel. And I don't know what we learned about Doctor Strange other than he's like, OK, with being evil by the end of it. So, like, uh, I, I don't think that just because the character has to continue on, we have to hold that against it. Much like I'm not going to hold, like, uh, 20th Century Fox's Dark Phoenix against you because your, uh, you know, animated series happened to do the full Dark Phoenix saga, the only successful time it's ever been translated to the screen, big or small. 
Yeah, I mean, this is the the thing about the Dark Phoenix saga, which you know originated uh, is a Chris Claremont story from the comic books, but like the animated series did it so well. I think that's the reason why the live action films keep trying to do it is because it was such a banger of a run on the X-Men animated series. X-Men animated series also just gave us really strong, like, you know, the yellow jumpsuits may not have translated over to, uh, to the live action films and the Wolverine may be completely different. Um, but I think a lot of our ideas of who these characters are were cemented by the X-Men animated series. And I'm still waiting for my proper live action gambit. Like I really need that to happen. And that's the X-Men animated series is the only reason why Gambit is a popular character because Gambit on the page is a trash monster, but they gave him like just a really charming Cajun accent uh, and it worked in the worked perfectly in the animated series. The interesting thing is if we're going for like faithful adaptation, I think Joanna has the best argument amongst the three of us, because again, like even when they're doing Dark Dark Phoenix, they do the Shi'ar War. Like it's the whole alien, the whole thing from the comics, and it's multiple parts. And X Men uh, basically does comic book arcs over different episodes of Saturday morning cartoons, which is great unless you see them in the wrong order. Like Disney Plus originally had them streaming for some reason, so uh, that feels very comic booky to me. Daredevil, on the other hand, took like a comic book character that I liked already. And made him slightly different because Marvel's Daredevil, at least as he appears in the Netflix series, I'll be interested to see if he carries over to the Disney Plus version, is the man who won't get knocked down. Uh, he's super tough. And yeah, he's got, you know, powers because he's a blind attorney who needs to operate like a normal person. But they kind of turn that down. There isn't a lot of the comic book echolocation things that work really well, sort of more conceptually and artistically. Marvel's Daredevil is just like, he's a good guy. He's a good guy in the courtroom and he's a good guy and he'll fight until he dies. That's just how Daredevil works. And I love that interpretation of it. Uh, I, for the same reason, I think this works for a lot of comic book characters, which is why they always do, you know, Spider-Man trapped under something heavy, having to lift it because it's the same sort of thing. When you push somebody to their limit, what makes them like a Marvel hero is they're going to keep fighting for you. And Daredevil literally will fight just everybody and like not pretend, pretend like it's not a big deal, which I very much enjoy my series is paced entirely differently from your guys' series. I don't know that I would be able to pick, like, an episode uh, out of WandaVision uh, that is, like, a standout episode, or even, like, a... I don't know if I divided it in between, you know, the twist of WandaVision uh, and then previously, if I have, like, a different half of a season. Mine sort of feels like, even though it is episodic and has to be television it does have a season-long build um, that eventually ends in a gigantic battle episode, which some people, I know, didn't like when WandaVision elevated uh, that big, and maybe it didn't execute to the full degree that it wanted to, again, because of like visual effects and COVID protocols. I think we lost a demon rabbit, but I do really like what we got uh, because it sort of kept the focus on the two actual characters. And again, if WandaVision doesn't exist. I don't know if we have all our Scarlet Witch fans. I don't know if people enjoy Vision as a character because he is 
100% non-ironic until this show uh, happens, uh, which makes him kind of kind of a bore. I mean, what's interesting about this is like we're best TV series based on a comic book. And so like we're talking a lot about the comic book side of it, but like in terms of like a TV series, like Neil brought this up in terms of prestige TV, cinematic TV. But in terms of like a TV show feeling like a TV show, I feel like WandaVision passes that whole the one with test that we do. Can you identify certain episodes in the season? And you can because they're all themed after the various decades that they are chasing. And then you've got the one with therapy hour with Agatha. And then you've got the one with the finale. <laughs> and that's like, that's your that's your season of television. The one with two visions. Dare, Daredevil and <laughs> all of the Netflix Marvel shows, unfortunately, I think just like mush together. Like it could not, you can talk about the hallway fight in season one of Daredevil, which is one of the best, most thrilling moments of television ever. I love that hallway. I can just like watch it on YouTube sometimes. But in terms of like television as television, that season of television really kind of started that whole idea of the Netflix mush where you're like, if you're binging something, you're not enjoying individual episodes. You couldn't name a single episode of, of Daredevil. Uh, Neil, do you think that matters? Like in terms of TV being, being TV versus TV being a movie? I mean, there's the one where he has Catholic guilt. Uh-huh. And then there's the other one where he has Catholic yeah. guilt. There's the and one then where there's another where one where he has a, loyal a lot friend. of guilt. <laughs> and then there's the, the like five where they're stuck in the police station. It feels there's, like there's there's the one where Karen's there. Yeah. <laughs> no, I think I think that's a good point. That's a fair point uh, to Daredevil. Um, what where my mind went with this though was as I was spending most of my afternoon rewatching that hallway fight over and over and over again. <laughs> I was transported back to a time before they sprawled all those stories out into several other series, some of which are not great. And it was just in that moment where we just had season one of Daredevil and how profound and sort of innovated and forward that felt for a superhero TV show specifically, right? I mean, we had, this was well after Christopher Nolan's Dark Knight trilogy. We've had plenty of grit in our superhero cinema, but this one felt you know, like they were finally bringing that level uh, to TV. And in a way that was smart because, you know, Daredevil is a great street level hero. He doesn't have, um, you know, bombastic or overpowered superpowers, right? He's he's just, as Dave said, he's just a guy who will keep fighting until he can't fight anymore. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it is fair. But as Dave mentioned with when when you asked him about Wilson Fisk in Hawkeye, I don't necessarily need to judge. I, I don't feel the need to judge the things that happened after Daredevil came along. I'm really thinking just about how much that, especially that first season of Daredevil, really kicked everybody I think, in the pants. I think if you said best season of comic book television ever, I'm I would definitely put Daredevil season one up there. Sure. But the three seasons, I'll leave the Defenders out of it, and I'll leave Jessica Jones out of it, and I'll leave Iron Fist out of it, and I'll leave Luke Cage out of it. But the like, and I actually like kind of liked season two and three. I liked Electra, and I liked mm-hmm. uh, Bullseye. Like I liked that stuff, but like, uh, it doesn't even come close to the highs of Daredevil season one. Sure. And that's because you have different creatives also involved in the later seasons. Mm-hmm. So well, also they kind of they kind of fumbled the hands. I think overall, just yeah, a bit down down the stretch there. 
But I, you know, I think it's also a testament to how good Daredevil was in that first season that they were able to build a small sort of cinematic universe offshoot that Disney would later have trouble figuring out what to do with. Um, you know, I think that's that to me, that's points, even though some of those shows, like, you know, even though Iron Fist was bad, it it speaks to the power of Daredevil that this show from what is not like an A-tier character in Marvel, I don't think. I never thought of Daredevil that. I always thought of Daredevil sort of on the pre-MCU Iron Man level, where it was like, that's sort of like the B-level of Marvel comics heroes. And so to do that with Daredevil and to do it so well that you can then make a bunch, you know, four or five other shows off of it, some of which are really good, I think it's a point in Daredevil's favor. Dave, given that you and I are working on a book about the origins of Marvel Studios, how instrumental would you say X-Men the Animated Series was to the origin of Marvel Studios? I was answering this question earlier on Twitter with somebody, I think, who was like, you know, doubting the fact that somebody said that without X-Men the Animated Series, there wouldn't be any X-Men movies and therefore not any Marvel movies. I was like, first of all, that erases Blade. But... Outside of that, uh, when the animated series went on, uh, the Fox Network 20th Century, or the Fox Network actually aired some episodes in primetime as a litmus test just to see like if adults would pick it up. And those ratings were good enough for 20th Century Fox to pick up the film option um, very in the, in the mid-90s. And that's eventually what became the, the Brian Singer movie. So, uh, I mean, it's... If it wasn't X-Men, I can't think of what else it would have been because it was the right series at the right time. X-Men were huge in the early 90s. It was right as the comic book bubble was bursting. So if you maybe got confused by the X-Men series and how many there were and how they were just adding pockets to everybody's costumes, then you could jump right over into the animated series um, at your own leisure. I think X-Men is great. Uh, but it also hit a lot of the uh, problems that superhero series would have uh, historically. Like, there can't be any guns. That's why everything's lasers. They fight the Sentinel, so Wolverine could use his claws, but otherwise he can't really use it on humans. So it created recognizable versions like you are talking about. you were talking about earlier of the X-Men characters. But that's also why people think Rogue can fly when that's never been part of her power set. She just took that from Captain Marvel in one of the animated series ones. So uh, it is a double-edged sword. We haven't gotten a gambit yet because of the exact same thing you're talking about, which is just the animated series made a gambit and they haven't been able to replicate that. We sort of lucked out that movies were able to replicate the X-Men, I think. Well, if you look at that, like the X-Men lineup in the animated series, which is Cyclops, Wolverine, Rogue, Storm, Beast, Gambit, Jubilee, Jean Grey, and Professor X, with the exception of Jubilee, who comes along a little later in the live action, like... Those become the the and like you know adding Magneto of course into the mix like that becomes the X Men lineup and it wasn't always the case in the comic books you have the animated series to thank for those being the core mutants and I just I don't know I I think I think there's something super sticky beyond the hummable theme and I think the fact that you can source so many of these episodes to very specific comic book arcs is a really interesting way in which uh, like a lot of kids in the 90s got an education in comic books without picking up a single comic book, you know? Yeah, 
I, I guess if they were to do something like if the new series, X-Men 97, we all have uh, things that are going to have characters coming back over and over again because we all pick Marvel things. Uh, we didn't, nobody picked Batwoman, so, you know, that's that's nice. Um, uh, there, You're going to see sort of what ends up sticking. So was I surprised to see after all of the movies we got from 20th Century Fox to see Patrick Stewart in the yellow floating wheelchair in uh, Multiverse of Madness? Yes, because I thought there was going to be more of a difference between here and there. Uh, you were mentioning sort of Wolverine in live action movies has never had his mask and never been uh, all yellow. Uh, it's going to be interesting to see if our next Wolverine is like exclusively masked and has yellow. Um, I love it as a series. I don't know if because it's so beloved that we've sort of lived with those version of the X-Men so well and I, you know, watch them while eating Fruity Pebbles for the first meal of the day on Saturday morning. If there's just some sort of like bias that comes along with that, because like at least in terms of watching animation, that series goes off a cliff. First season, great. Every consecutive season, because they're churning out more episodes, because they're different animated companies, it really, it really drops. So if we're grouping it all together, like we're grouping together Marvel's three Daredevil seasons on Netflix, uh, things get weirder and I think worse as X Men goes Visually, on. Visually, yeah, I won't, I won't fight you on that. Oh, maybe storytelling wise. Do you remember the? I mean, you probably do now because we've all been expecting X-Men 97 to pick up where this one left off. But I had to Google where Pro Professor X was at the end of the last season of X-Men because that is really weird. And then he just goes off into space. And it's it's it, I don't think it, it's the strongest ending because, again, it was, I think, built in this in a way a little bit more like Daredevil, where each season it has to prove itself. Uh, mine didn't have to prove anything. <laughs> Mine was going to happen regardless. We're lucky it's good because it could have been Falcon and the Winter Soldier. That's true. I mean, yours didn't have to prove anything, but it was built on, you know, several movies worth of story for Vision and I'll just and say Wanda. that the Phoenix Saga season three of X-Men the Animated Series is not season one, it's season three. So I have at least three solid seasons under <laughs> under under my belt here with this, with this show. Uh, should we talk about some listener picks? We should. Yeah. Let's see who comes up and if they're Marvel. <laughs> uh, let's start with Joanne. <laughs> um, it's not Marvel. Surprise, surprise. All Yay! right. Um, we had a lot of submissions for this particular one, but I picked the Joanna because I have a Joanna bias. So listener Joanna submitted. I'm ready to submit Watchmen. The 2019 limited series is the best TV comic book adaptation. I know I'm probably preaching to the converted here, but it's such a fucking great show. Who would have thought that after the Zack Snyder movie we don't talk about, although it's got a banging soundtrack, anyone would want or need another attempt at a Watchmen adaptation, but then Damon Lindelof went and did that. Learning everything he needed to know from Lost, we have to go back and making a mystery box sequel that hit all the buttons that, that needed hitting in 2019, plus Regina King being the coolest black protagonist in a genuine, healthy, and loving relationship, even if, yeah, 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 Abdul Mateen's secretly Dr. Manhattan, and Jeremy Irons reigning squid down on the general populace, no other adaptation has come close to hitting all the beats of the original comic while feeling this fresh and exciting. Let's play a clip from Emmy winner Gene Smart as Laurie Blake. Now, hero number three is pretty much a god himself. So for the sake of telling them apart... 
He's blue. And he likes to stroll around with his dick hanging out. He can teleport. He can see into the future. He can blow shit up. He's got actual superpowers. So regular God asks Blue God, oh, what have you done with these gifts? And Blue God says, uh, I fell in love with a woman. Uh, I walked across the sun. And then I fell in love with another woman. I won the Vietnam War. But mostly I just stopped giving a shit about humanity. Uh, that's Watchmen. Forgot how great the score is great for that. fucking show. show. Yeah! <laughs> Trent Reznor and Atticus Ross. (laughs) All right. Well, I'm also pleased uh, to say that my listener pick is not a Marvel thing. Uh, I have chosen Francesca's submission, and this came to us in an email titled, and please bear with me and imagine that this is a good Carl Urban impression. The email was called, My Fucking Diabolical Submission for Best TV Series Adapted from a Comic Book. Imagine it was him saying it. Anyway, Francesca goes on. The title may give you a clue about my pick for this week's topic, which of course is The Boys. It's a series that manages to be outrageous and hilarious while still hitting serious topics and giving perfect satire on the world we live in. It's an adaptation that even fans of the comics have admitted surpasses the source material. That's a new point we haven't talked about yet. Any changes made for the show have been for the better while still maintaining those iconic characters. All of this, plus a perfect cast that seemed like they were born to play their roles Obviously, the show hasn't ended yet, which may work against it for this conversation. But from what we've seen so far, it's absolutely nailing it. And I promise my Carl Urban bias is only playing a small part in my choice. I will also admit, this is me, Neil, that my Garth Ennis, Seth Rogen, Evan Goldberg, I really liked Preacher, even if a lot of people didn't seem to share that view. Uh, Bias has also helped me in choosing Francesca's pick of the boys. I have brought a clip. I will warn you that it has some salty language in it, but let's hear it, Carlos. Listen. Fuck. Huey, calm down. This is like that scene in The Matrix. Now, you could take the fucking red pill, right? Spend the rest of your life jacking off, crying into your chai tea, green latte, what the fuck. Or you could take the blue pill. Was it the red pill? Anyway, take the other pill and quit being a cunt. Which pill do you want me to take? Just quit being a cunt. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> there you have it. Just I, honestly, that was the clip with the least amount of Carl Urban cursing that I could find. <laughs> <laughs> That's how you know it's good, right? <laughs> uh, I also like Preacher because you know I love uh, yell at God uh, fiction. That's that's one of my thing. But I did not pick that and. To mirror my previous pick, I'm going to start with my clip. Uh, This submission comes from Paloma. Hit it, Carlos. What are you doing here? You, not us. David. No, David is gone. She took him. It's our time now. Who the hell are you? I am Legion. 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 I am Legion.
Only took us three seasons to get there. Paloma writes, I am an avid viewer of television shows adapted from comic books, but when I heard that announcement, I knew my pick would be Legion. Legion is loosely based on the X-Men comics and the show creator Noah Hawley's crafted a perfect, perfectly paced three-season arc for the main character, David Haller. David, a.k.a. Legion, is a super powerful mutant who possesses several psychic abilities, including telepathy and telekinesis, was diagnosed with schizophrenia at a young age and hospitalized many times throughout his life, adopted as a baby, and the biological child of Professor X, who we see in the background. Legion puts equal weight on exploring the character's mental states through innovative, surreal storytelling and telling a story about mutants. I think Legion is the best comic book television show adaptation because it's for comic fans, MCU slash X-Men movie fans, and those who love wacky television shows. I am all three, so the show is perfect for me. And I agree with all of that. The thrill of Legion slowly getting weirder and weirder over its three seasons uh, was pretty great. Even that second season, which was a long walk for a small drink of water. I enjoyed that, that drink of water at the end. What I think is really interesting about our three listener picks here is that, like, I think our our three picks, X-Men the Animated Series, Daredevil, and WandaVision are all examples of, like, a launching of a new, like, era of comic book television or whatever. And what these, all three of these shows are reactions to superhero glut. Like, Legion and the Boys and Watchmen are all commentaries on what would actually happen if someone had superpowers and how it would be fucked up and bad, actually. Um, and, you know, like Noah Hawley and, and Damon Lindelof both um, have like stated that as an intention of Legion and Watchmen. I don't know that that's, I mean, the boys, it's source material is about that. And, and yeah, so I don't is, think the so boys is, is being subtle about it. <laughs> yeah, no, they're not, they're not being, but I don't think, I don't think Kripke's like, um, Anyway, yeah, all, all three of those shows are are such interesting commentaries on our obsession with superheroes and superhero comics and all three incredible shows. I would say, in defense of my Joanna pick here, uh, Watchmen is, I think, the only Emmy winner out of all of these. And not that awards are the only thing that matters, but, you know, in terms of, like, the main category, Emmy winning Watchmen, which elevates comic book television to a new legitimacy level uh, with that win for. Yeah, I mean, listen, these are three shows that are very hard to argue against. They're so Because good. I like all of them, <laughs> right? Uh, Legion was a fun, weird time that, honestly, one of my favorite casts. I mean, just even beyond the Dan Stevens being great, but like you get Aubrey Plaza, you get Bill Irwin, you get Amber Midthunder, who's going to be in that movie Prey that's coming out this week that is awesome, by the way. Uh, and... We already talked about Gene Smart. Yeah. You get yeah, doses of Gene Smart. Smart everywhere. So I don't know. I like Legion. Um, every, I, I mean, I love the boys. The boys is a lot of fun. The boys is, is my kind of, uh, sort of sick satire, right? Like it's, it's, it's gritty and also grimy and slimy and weird. And I like that. Um, yeah. And then it's hard to deny that Watchmen is, um, you know, probably the most prestige comic book adaptation, right? We talked about Daredevil in my eyes, sort of making that jump to being sort of prestige action. Um, but Watchmen, Watchmen really sort of took it to the next level. And um, 
So yeah, I honestly I have no idea which one of these should go through to the next to the poll. Well, maybe can can we draw a line about like which one is actually like the boys I think is the only one that's actually like an adaptation like Joanna was talking about. Like a direct adaptation, yeah. Like they're like not changing that much. They're definitely changing some things, but it's more amplifying it for the realm of television than it is, you know, drastically sort of changing the thing. Watchmen is as much a comment on the original Watchmen as it is an adaptation of Watchmen because Watchmen is a sequel technically to the comic book, which happened in universe to the thing. And then mine is just like a crazy, how do you show comic book powers? Uh, like the Legion character, big psychic character. Obviously, we get some uh, Charles Xavier in season three uh, physically manifested. Uh, I, and then Legion is sort of an excuse to do uh, fun television stuff because we're dealing with mind powers, which are sort of visually uh, indescribable and therefore I think very different from the comic. Uh, but that seeming said, the character does exist in the comics. A problem with Legion, a show that I really loved, and Dan Stevens giving one of the all-time great ever performances, I think, um, is a really problematic ending to season two uh, that I don't think it ever really fully recovered from. And they just sort of like wrapped it up in season three. Um, but season two ha- like has a sexual assault that it feels like they just kind of didn't realize was a sexual assault until people watching the show were like, hey, did you mean to do this? And Noah Hawley's like, mm, not sure that that's what I meant to do is 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 my memory of what happened with, with season two of Legion. But I, I mean, I love Legion overall. It just feels like there was like a real big dip in the middle and then season three sort of rebounded. And then the boys, similarly, I would say, I think um, uh, there's been some really interesting conversation around season three of the boys, like that the boys started as this sort of very snarky critique of a superhero show and then has just kind of become a superhero show in as it continues. Um, And so I feel like there's slight diminishing returns on the boys, a a show that I still really like. I mean, if we're adding more weight to one and done as someone who picked WandaVision, I'm fine with that. Yeah. Watchmen, (laughs) Watchmen is one and done. Like, Damon's like, oh, is this show super popular and I wanted uh, many Emmys for it? Yeah, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not coming back for season two. We're not going to do yeah. it. I Just mean, keep it here. it's hard to tell if that's going to be like an advantage for both WandaVision and Watchmen is like they can be these fairly contained. I mean, even though obviously the Wanda's story continued in the MCU, um, they're sort of these contained complete visions and uh, Legion, we at least have all three seasons to go on. The Boys is still going, and I would argue that it's still the same sort of satirical look at superheroes. It's just gotten to a point where it has had to escalate to the point where it feels like a superhero versus supervillain story, because in order to kill uh, God, <laughs> I've found in television, you need to have the powers to do so. And that's the, you know, it's 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 playing with that idea. Let right? me better let me better articulate the point and just point people to this great piece that uh, my ringer colleague Ben Lindbergh wrote about. I think it's more about the fact that the boys has become its own like empire because it's doing all these spin-offs and all this other stuff. And it's just become like it's become superhero blockbuster when it was like invented to critique superhero blockbuster. And I think also the 
how do you solve a problem like Homelander, which is a character who really should not like here we go around and around again with Homelander every season is like is a tough part of the boys, I think. You know, I love Homelander. Again, incredible performance. Anthony Starr as Homelander is one of the best things you will ever see on television. But the fact that they haven't beat Homelander and we're just going to do it again is like, <laughs> how is that guy still here? How is that happening? You know, so um, I don't know. But guess what, guys? Comic book TV is good, man. It, uh, that's that. the other thing is like, I like all of these shows. It's this the poll is going to be a real test of whether or not there is a heavy recency bias to, to this thing, right? Because it it does seem like it's going to be a fundamental choice between some new stuff and like, you know, one X-Men show X-Men from the nineties. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Which again, very formative, but I like, I like Joanna's point about these being the listener picks being more response. Uh, and I think that that makes them interesting. And I think the most interesting of them, I, you know, Love the boys, but it's probably Watchmen, right? I mean, how do we deny an Emmy winner? What do you say, Dave? I I, I, I can just wait to Legion if you feel really strongly about it. I think Legion absolutely has the problems that you're outlining, but is also about a character that's traditionally a villain that doesn't become a villain until the third season of his show. So that sort of builds so we could stick with David in the beginning, I think is important. Uh, I'm also worried that if we put up Watchmen, we're just all going to get schooled by just like you guys didn't want it. You guys tried to make it an entire Marvel debate like <laughs> Watchmen. So I would say we could throw Legion up as flack and then it's just all Marvel and then be like, oh, we'll save it for another debate. <laughs> I think we should have one non-Marvel thing. There. Yeah, I think it would be it'd be tough. Uh, that's that's probably the biggest thing against Legion. Also, I had totally blocked out the end of season two of Legion. Apparently, the um, <laughs> tough bit. Wait, you didn't you didn't you forgot about John Hamm explaining a nonsense egg to you yeah. at the beginning of every episode <laughs> for yeah. thirteen weeks? I really did. Um, no, I think it's good to have something non Marvel in there. I mean, folks are going to be rightly not happy that there's no Batman stuff in here. But listen, you know, Batman. We know what happens when we put Batman on a pole. <laughs> Uh, so i actually feel it's funny because last week obviously our our devious plan to end the listener's streak worked but if we put up watchmen dave's right that that could be it it could be watchmen but like you never know like i don't i i can't predict our list our beautiful listeners and the randos on social media who don't listen to the episodes at all I have no idea what, like, is it going to be a hardcore nostalgia, th- like, play for X-Men? Is it going to be, I don't think it's going to be WandaVision because people are, uh, do not have great Is it going to be Marvel's Batman? Is it going to be Daredevil? Daredevil? Daredevil. Like, it could be. People love Daredevil. I don't know. I genuinely don't know. So, um. I think we got to put up Watchmen, right. even though. I I'm I'm scared of it sure. uh, for several reasons. I think it's reasons. good to be scared Plus, of it. Plus, it's a sequel. Yeah. So we'll we'll see. Uh, we stretched the meaning of what a comic book adaptation was, and now our listeners get the chance because our fourth submission on our poll is going to be 2019's Watchmen. All right, that means it's time for final statements for the non-Watchmen candidates. I get to go first since I went last on the opening statements. Guys, 
WandaVision. I know telling Disney they get, did a good job just feels bad all the time, no matter what level you're doing it at. But that being said, I think it's interesting to take something that is immediately after Avengers Endgame. And before, because of the pandemic, we got any more movie entries in the MCU. We stopped. We focus in on two underserved characters played by two very deserving actors and got to focus in on them in sort of a sitcom-y, week-to-week moment. And if music is important to you, like it is to me on Watchmen, WandaVision also has some amazing songs because you could sing Agatha all along in your head right now. That's how memorable it is. WandaVision. Vote WandaVision. I really don't have a lot to say beyond banana. I mean, like, honestly, uh, you know, if we're talking about catchy tunes, it's got to be the X-Men animated series. I really just, think... Just going to have Carlos play the clip again. Uh, yeah, no. <laughs> I just think that... Um, I think this is so foundational to everything that came after and everything that we're talking about here from Daredevil to Watchmen to everything like in between uh, owes a debt of gratitude to X-Men, the animated series for not only priming like the business people who make the decisions about what kind of shows get greenlit, but also the audiences and making sure that a whole generation grew up ready to dive into comic book storytelling. X-Men, the animated series. (sighs) Well, I will say this. Joanna's right. X-Men 97, very formative. And Dave's right. WandaVision did a really good job of kicking off those Disney Plus Marvel shows. But if it's up to me, I want to go back and live in that hallway scene (laughs) in Daredevil. And I want to be right there with Matt Murdock as he just gets his ass kicked and kicks a lot of ass. My theory of the case is that the MCU has a problem And it's that they peaked too early with their TV show, (laughs) Daredevil. So vote for Grit. Vote for Daredevil. Can I say really quickly, if Daredevil doesn't win this week, let's like Mm -hmm. come back in a year and do like best comic book TV show fight or something like that, just to make sure that Daredevil like wins something. Listen, it took me me weeks to get justice for Jaws and I will get justice for Daredevil one way or the other. (laughs) If we wait a couple of years, there'll be twice as much Daredevil. (laughs) Best costume before the official costume. Because he yeah, gets ooh, to wear yeah. that, that, that no, all that, black that, I definitely, situation. I could agree with that. Okay. That means your picks are going to be Marvel's Daredevil, X-Men the Animated Series, WandaVision, and Watchmen. You could find our poll for the best TV show adapted from a comic book on TheRinger.com, on at Ringer on Twitter, and in the Spotify app where you find this show, Trial by Content. You choose the winner, and we'll announce it next week. Surely, there will not be any controversy this week. Nobody cares about uh, superhero TV series. (laughs) Um, Until then, we got something for you to think about after you vote. You can send in submissions for next week's trial by content. Neil, what are we debating next week? Well, Dave, I'm happy to report that we have another one that I'm sure will not be controversial in any way. (laughs) Next week, we will be debating once and for all at least for now, what is the best TV series finale ever? I have a feeling that we might get a reappearance from our guy, Damon Lindelof, potentially. A we'll three-peat, see. a Lindelof three-peat, yeah. yeah. The rules for this one are, I guess, fairly simple, but you know, some of these shows refuse to die. So it's, it's uh, basically the final episode of a television show 
its series finale. We haven't even discussed yet how to handle shows that eventually got spin-off movies, but all things to consider as you make your case for the best TV series finale ever. You can, as always, send your picks and a few sentences to support your pick to trialbycontent at gmail.com. And you can always send us suggestions for future trial by content topics. I believe this one has been mentioned a few times by listeners. They really want to know who we're going to choose for best TV series finale ever. So send them on over, trialbycontent at gmail.com. Yeah, just try to pick a bat one, Batman for that one, guys. <laughs> Dare you. This episode was produced by Carlos Cherubobo.